Behold my servant who I'm up, I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a, f- a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, for the prison those who, for, from the prison those who sit in darkness. Well, good morning, church. Merry Christmas. And congratulations, ladies, on finally having a reason to wear all those boots. And uh, we actually got a little cold weather. It's kind of nice for a change, especially on a Christmas day. If only we had gotten a little bit of snow. Uh-huh. So uh, the, the, we did get a great Christmas gift uh, uh, on Friday. Um, thank you for all of your prayers. We have found a contractor that can start the first week of January. So that is fantastic. Um, and so we are so pleased to not have that delay, and we were able to get someone out of West Palm Beach, and uh, we're so thankful for that. And uh, thank you for all the suggestions of people who, that came from you, uh, of people who work with concrete. Understand that uh, what we're talking about here is a specialist uh, that is beyond what most uh, people who do concrete work uh, or concrete contractors do. Uh, and so there's really only two or three, I think, in the county that really can do the scope of the work that we're doing on this building. And uh, so we, but we found one just a little south of us, great timing. So last, uh, last night, we asked the question and, and tried to begin to answer, you know, what was it that Jesus was intended to bring when he came to earth? And I had you fill in that blank. Jesus came to earth to bring and you, hopefully your answers were better than what I had seen on the television that week. And last night we focused on the first four verses of Isaiah 42, where God's ordained uh, humble servant king would come to earth to bring justice to the nations. When, when we got home, we were talking about the message, and uh, Catherine asked our son how he understood that word justice. And, uh, and he began to explain, and it was very clear that his understanding of justice has been greatly shaped by NCIS and law and order and uh, blue bloods. And he gave an explanation that uh, was, was definitely an aspect of justice. You know, you go out, you get the people who break the law, the bad guys who are doing wrong, and you bring them to what? Justice. Nothing wrong with his definition of, of that, uh, of justice, but the, uh, the biblical idea of justice is more nuanced than that. Um, it has more facets to that. It certainly isn't less 
than what he was referring to. What he is referring to is known as rectifying justice. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a book uh, uh, called Generous Justice, and in there, he identifies two different kinds of justice that we might think of as we look at the multitude of examples in the Bible of justice. And there's many, like 14 different kinds of manifestations of God's justice, but they fit into a couple of categories. The first of which is rectifying justice. That's, that's the, you know, the Frank Reagan, the, the Marshall Matt Dillon, for those of you who are older, uh, that, that concept of justice. That's rectifying justice. And certainly Isaiah 42 is not less than this kind of justice, but it's actually much more. That's the other category of justice that you see examples of throughout the Bible, what we might call primary justice. And the description, and we know that in Isaiah 42, that primary justice is what's in mind here mostly because of the description of this humble servant who brings justice and and the way he does not bring justice, which is what we emphasized last night, helps us to see that primary justice is what is in mind here. And primary justice is referring to to the kind of society where rectifying justice is no longer needed because everything has been made right with everything else in the world. That's, that's primary justice, where everything is being made right with one another. And, and Keller in his book suggests that the best synonym to help us understand primary justice is that other great biblical word, shalom, peace. That, that all-pervasive peace, that absolute well-being. And the servant is putting everything right. His, he is coming to the earth to bring shalom. And how does he do this? By making everything right with one another. We all need this primary justice, this peace, don't we? Because sin has torn our world apart. It's torn man from woman. It has turned a racist against each other. It has caused nations to come at war with one another and be torn apart. It blows up marriages and personal relationships that are dear to each to us. It's, it's even turning our bodies against ourselves as diseases and things like this develop within us. Sin tears apart everything within the fabric of creation. And this justice that the humble servant is bringing to all the nations is intended to bring these things back together again, to make them right. Most importantly, of course, sin has torn apart our relationship with God, hasn't it? This is what you see throughout the scriptures, how the creator, the creation, the relationship all the way back into the garden is destroyed in that harmony, that love, that peace that existed between creator and creation destroyed, ripped apart, torn apart by sin. And so as the chosen servant who brings justice, Jesus is putting back together again all these things that have been torn apart by sin. Kind of as, if you think about it, it's in line with our church's vision statement. 
We talked about our mission statement last night to bring gospel restoration to people's deepest needs in our broken world. But what is the grand picture? What is Jesus up to that makes that mission so important? He's making all things new. He's bringing things back together. He's bringing restoration to this world. And it's going to be culminated when he returns for his second advent. When the world will be restored and we'll be reconciled to God. Jesus is God's servant who brings justice to the nations. We could talk a lot more about that, but we need to move to the second answer. Remember, we said there's a twofold answer here in this passage of what God is bringing to the earth. The first thing is he brings that, that uh, justice. But secondly, what we notice is that Jesus is the embodiment of God's covenant lo- covenantal love who brings light to the nations. That sin that tears everything apart has resulted in a state where humanity lives in absolute spiritual darkness. When we talk about spiritual darkness, what we mean is that every one of us is born in a state spiritually where where we do not have the ability to do anything that is spiritually pleasing to God. We don't have the ability to do anything that is righteous that in some way God says, This person is good and doing good. In fact, our spiritual darkness is so pervasive, so all-corrupting, that even the good things that we do in this life that maybe make our city a better place or our home a a good place for children to be raised in, the the things that we might point to and say, this is a morally good thing that we did to help others, the Scriptures say that even those things are polluted by sin because our motivations and our heart are not to do these things for the glory of God, but are in some way self-oriented, self-glorifying. So even the, the good things are bad because they're polluted by sin. And this spiritual darkness is all pervasive. And it began in the garden with that first sin from our spiritual ancestors. But since that time in the garden, God has promised in his covenants to send someone who would be a blessing to all the nations. Verses five and six have some beautiful language in them. They remind us that God is sovereignly in control of everything. Even the sin that has happened in this world doesn't catch God by surprise. God superintends it. He is sovereign over it all. And listen to the words in verse 5. Then thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. There is a majesty in these words. In these verses, God makes these strongly worded declarative statements about himself, and they are meant to remind us that his sovereignty extends over everything, including his plan of salvation expressed in the covenants of old. I mean, right after that sin, of our ancestors, God makes a covenant 
where he promises that the seed of the woman will one day crush the head of the serpent who tempted into sin. And in that crushing, he himself will be wounded on the heel. Literally, he will be bruised. We talked about that last night on the heel by the serpent. And then you go forward a couple more pages and you come to Abraham where God again makes a covenant and he promises that the seed of Abraham, this father of faith, will ultimately be a blessing to all the nations. And so from the early pages of the scriptures, we get this idea of this seed, this promised servant who would come more than just for the Israelites, but for all the nations. And you continue on through the scriptures and you get more clarity. And so when he comes to David and he makes this covenant with David, we now learn that this servant is ultimately going to be in the line of David and like David will sit on the throne, but his throne is eternal and he will sit and rule over all of God's kingdom and creation for all of eternity. And then in the New Testament, when this servant comes, Jesus Yet another covenant God makes with us. The new covenant where Jesus says, in this covenant in my blood and in my broken body is how you will be reconciled and and brought into peace. Where what has been torn apart will be brought back together just as Jeremiah 33 prophesies. So this servant, as the embodiment of God's covenantal love, is through him that we enter into God's redemptive covenant. It says in verse six, I will give you as a covenant for the people. You know, I just mentioned this new covenant that Jesus established and all those covenants starting there at the point of sin, what God begins to make. But you know, there's actually a prior covenant that God makes in Genesis chapter two with humanity. And in that covenant, a covenant that we often refer to as the covenant of works, that covenant is still established. It's still in place for us today. It's still binding on men and women and all of humanity. It's a simple covenant to understand. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. In other words, this covenant basically says this. You obey me and you live. You disobey me and you die. You obey me, you live. You disobey me, you die. And of course, the issue here for all of us as we are under this covenant is that every one of us continues to disobey. And so as a result, we die. We're separated from God. And this is why Jesus has to come as the suffering servant to perfectly obey all that we were meant to obey and then bear the punishment that we deserve to experience. And it's through him that we enter into God's redemptive covenant of grace. He's God's ordained means for our salvation. Paul in Romans chapter five, verse 19 says, because one person disobeyed God, man became sinners, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. As he is the embodiment 
of God's covenantal love. Jesus is the light in the darkness who brings light and life to all who believe. Verse seven, I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. All Advent season, we have been meditating on this theme of light in the darkness. We explored it in John chapter one, and we, and we saw how important it was that Jesus be 100% God. He is God, and yet he is God in the flesh, the, the incarnation, and, and what this means and, and, and how, as, the in, as, the in, as God in the flesh, he brings this light to us, this one who's full of grace and truth. And now here we are in Isaiah chapter 42. Again, light in the darkness being expressed. But earlier in Isaiah, this promised light is given to us. It's one of those verses that we read every Christmas season. We can't go for Christmas without reading it. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You know, um, this week, we, you know, we got a lot of cards this year. Apparently, now that we're out of COVID, people are sending cards again, I guess. And we got a lot of cards this year. One of them that we recently got was from Dan and Carol Iverson, our missionaries to Japan. They have been there, I think they're going on 40 years or so. Um, Dan and Carol went there. You know, their first term, six-year term, when they came back, they reported the fruit of that year, those six years of hard work, of evangelization, bridge building, everything else. And they reported that they had led exactly nobody to Christ. Not one person. Because Japan is so spiritually dark and hardened. You, you interact with people who, who never even heard the name Jesus, much less any concept of their need for salvation. It wasn't until their second term that they began to see some people, a few began to believe, but they persevered. And through the decades now, thousands of people have come to know Jesus Christ. And there's several churches planted in Tokyo and the surrounding area, enough now that there's actually a presbytery there. And God has blessed that perseverance as that light has begun to penetrate that darkness of that nation, Japan. But in his card, Dan referred to an event that happened a few years ago. And most of you might will remember that, that, that time, and I think it's back in 2017, 2018, when a soccer team of young men, I think it was in Thailand, they were, they were exploring some caves, and they ended up getting trapped in those caves. Water rose, and, and they could not get out without drowning. And the water continued to rise, and, and very quickly their lights expired, and for I think two or three weeks, something like that, they were in absolute darkness with water rising, not knowing if they were going to live. And of course, you can imagine, I mean, as an adult, we would be terrified. Can you imagine what those young children were experiencing during those weeks? But of course, the world rallies. People are trying to rescue, and ultimately, I think it was some British SAS, equivalent of our SEALs type of soldiers, are able to swim through the, the intricacies of that cave system and the tightness 
and they end up rescuing these children. And can you imagine on that day when those SA members who made it through, some drowned, didn't make it. When, when those children who have been sitting in that darkness for those many weeks look down in the water and they, they see that first glimmer of light. And then that light grows brighter until it bursts forth into the darkness. At that moment, they all realize something. We're saved. We're rescued. <laughs> We're going to make it out of here. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. The darkness of this world. On that one day when he stood before the people of Israel and he proclaimed to them in a loud voice, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We have all the lights in the neighborhood. Christmas is all about lights. Why do we have lights at Christmas time? Because the meaning of Christmas, Jesus, is the embodiment of God's covenantal love who brings light into this darkness. And with that light comes salvation for all who believe and trust in his name. And my Christmas wish for all of you is that you have trusted in this person, Jesus, so that his light and the light of God is in your life, bringing back together the relationship that was destroyed by your sin. Lord Jesus, we thank you for coming, for bringing light into the darkness, for giving us your life so that we might live. And as we go home, many of us, to open gifts and to celebrate the Christmas season and this day of your birth, Lord Jesus, we simply say thank you for of all the gifts that we receive, the greatest gift is the gift of salvation that is ours because you took on human flesh. You lived the life that we were to live. You perfectly obeyed that covenant of works. And then in your grace, your work is applied to our work so that when the Heavenly Father sees us, he sees a perfect life lived in honor for him. Lord Jesus, thank you for this gift that you give us. And for the one who may not yet know you as the true light, may you open their eyes, help them to see, so that they too may walk in life. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.